Corteva AgroScience provides cutting-edge solutions for farmers worldwide. Learn more at Corteva.com. Hello and welcome back to the Millennial Ag Podcast, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today, your co-hosts, Valine Cawhorn and Catherine Lutzbeach. Listeners, welcome back to this week's episode. Um, we have been a little quiet, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, I've been, and I, and we've been a little quiet on social media too. Um, and we hope to get, get that all picked up back rolling where we historically have, but life has just been, I would say life lately. Wouldn't you, Catherine, you know, chasing, chasing Harper around and keeping up with work and keeping up with, you know, the, the end of one harvest season and the start of another one and conventions and all the summer, the summer things. Yeah. All of that stuff. You're, you're hundred percent, right? It's, this is one of the busiest times of year for my husband. Um, he's super busy with FFA extracurricular activities. And I feel like every time we do a life update, I say that, but I mean, he's an ag teacher. He's always busy, but um, yeah. So been, you know, been going to events with him, Jason Harper around trying to keep up with, you know, the day job and, and the weather we've had here in Colorado has really impacted that. We've had um, wild rain, a lot of cloudy, gloomy days, just totally weird for June and July. And that's impacted some of my producers. Um, you know, they've had lightning strikes take out their internet, which causes the system that I I help support them on to go down and, you know, then they're not reading heats for three days or a week and you're not getting cows pregnant and everyone's in, you know, the whole nine yards. So yeah, it's been, it's been just that kind of a month or so. And, and in amongst all that, I know that you've been experienced this too, but, you know, trying to take care of ourselves mentally and emotionally and, and, you know, do the, do the priorities of self and family as well too. So you know, sometimes, sometimes some things have to get put on the back burner to keep the glass balls in the air. <laughs> yep. No. And it was, I, this might be a sidetrack from the episode, but I was listening to a podcast the other morning and they were talking about work-life balance. Um, and she, she wanted to debunk that myth of balancing and more of a harmony. You know, sometimes you have to, to give up her example was, um, she had to give up something at work to make sure she made it to her kid's baseball game. And then sometimes she has to miss a pickup and have somebody else pick our kids up so that she can hit a work event, you know, and it's trying to give yourself grace. So anyway, listeners, <laughs> um, life has been a little crazy um, and we hope to get back to, to some harmony, I would say with, um, our podcast and our social media and so forth. Um, and we appreciate you guys being grace centered with us. Um, and we hope, we hope to bring you some good content. And today it's just Catherine and I, but we've been, we've been talking a lot about, um, not only the crazy weather that's happening across the States, which Catherine kind of alluded to, um, but the crazy crisis, um, it seems like dairy is in the toilet and beef's riding the riding the highs right now um at least for the cow calf producers um and just just scratching our heads at, at all the moving parts and the feed cost and so forth um i just finished up at um the Idaho Cattle Association convention um last week i believe it was and that was 
you know, there was a lot of talk on, on that and when to see recovery, you know, as far as cow numbers and stuff, but that's kind of what we want to talk about today. Um, so Catherine, do you want to give a brief update on, on where your theory is currently? Yeah. Let's see if I can uh, do this to give, give a proper overview and also not use too much jargon because, you know, we can certainly get lost in that when we're as deep in the industries as we are. But for a little bit of background, let's start with milk prices last year. So dairy producers are paid by the hundred weight of milk. So meaning that they get a certain price per hundred pounds of milk produced and shipped. So last year, um, the price of milk was $28 a hundred weight, which is unheard of. I mean, that is a record price. Um, for for our times and uh cost of production was somewhere between 20 22 dollars a hundred weight so that's how much it it costs to produce that milk so between the 22 dollars and the 28 dollars they get that six dollars of profit um so you know dairy producers were riding high on the hog they they did a lot of capital improvements in new structure builds um, you know, a lot of guys bought cows because I always say this in the dairy industry and it's a sad adage, but you know, milk prices are high, you milk more cows to make more money. Milk prices are low, you milk more cows to make up for the money lost. Um, and so, you know, sometimes dairymen can be their own worst enemy, but anyway, record high prices last summer, people went nuts. Um, and I've been talking to dairy producers in the area the last several weeks, um, I've been trying to do sales calls and get sales for, you know, for for my company's products. Um, and guys have straight up admitted to me they spent too much money last year. Now they have too much debt and they can't take on um, that kind of investment that isn't, you know, isn't necessarily absolutely critical to the operation of their farms. Um, that's been frustrating for me as a salesperson, but, you know, that's, that's the current environment we're in. Um, so, you know, what's what's causing that distress is that this year right now milk prices are at $14 a hundred weight um and cost of production is still 20 $23 a hundred weight so they are they have seven eight nine dollars of loss straight off the top um on their milk checks and that's that's just causing so much distress you know that that amount of red ink um would kill anybody you know really terrify even the the strongest businessmen um, and coupled, excuse me, <clears throat> coupled with the fact that they spent so much money last year, it's causing a lot of distress out in dairy country. And, um, to, to top all of that, well, there's, let's say there's three or four other factors going into this. So unfortunately the way that milk is priced in this country, um, you'd need more than a rocket science degree to understand that mess. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's there's a lot of fees and charges that come off the top of a dairyman's milk check before he ever sees it in his mailbox. Um, so that includes milk milk haulage fees from the from the farm um, to the processor. They get charged for that trucking fee. Um, there's something called a make allowance, which is what processors um, eat into the milk check for to offset the cost of actually making the products which, you know, is sort of an interesting concept because, you know, they're buying that raw ingredient from a dairyman. So why are they charging the dairyman to make that product? I don't know if we can get an economist or some dairy policy person on here to, to clarify that for me, I would love it. <laughs> um, so there's, you know, there's, there's, there's lots of weird fees that come off. It can depend on your co-op, um, what milk marketing order you're in, you know, um, 
you know, processors, all of that sort of stuff. So um, that's, that's also causing distress. And then we also have the issues of continued rising costs of production, especially because of inflation and feed costs rising. Um, you talked a little bit about this before we started our episode, and I'll, I'll leave it more to you to, to discuss the feed situation more fully, because I think it affects beef producers and dairy producers in the same way. But um, feed costs are rising drastically, fuel costs are rising drastically, um, you know, fuel or feed, um, feed haul charges are also increasing. And, you know, inflation is just causing, I mean, it, so that's increasing costs of production for materials and, and inputs for dairymen. Um, and it's also causing consumers to be a lot more price conscious. And fortunately, dairy is, is mostly considered a staple and people People will continue to buy, you know, the necessaries, milk, cheese, butter, um, but maybe the higher value items like Fairlife milk or, you know, you know, lactose, you know, the stuff that has a higher value um, that isn't necessarily critical to the running of a household or falling off in demand. And we're also seeing a lot of demand fall for for restaurant visits. Um, you know, it's just expensive to eat out. And so consumers aren't doing that as much. School is out for the summer. So those contracts for milk have halted. Um, you know, a lot of factors sort of sort of dovetailing together to make make milk prices in life really, really difficult for dairymen. And unfortunately, futures um, are showing that milk prices are going to be this way for at least the next six months. Um, and, you know, the Fed keeps telling us that inflation is going to slow and interest rates are going to going to fall. And, you know, we haven't seen a lot of evidence for that to actually be the case. And I think, you know, short term, I don't think that it will provide relief that that dairymen, agriculture producers in general really need. Um, you know, it's going to be a long, slow fall, I think, for things to get back to some kind of normal and unfortunately, too, in the dairy industry, it's a very cyclical, um, you know, price and market cycle. It tends to be um, in one year, you'll have four to six months of incredible prices, and then you'll have about three years of really, really crappy prices. So seems like dairymen kind of forget that that's the way it works, and they go nuts on the good years, and then the bad years, they're all crying that things are pretty tough. And things are tough, but, you know, there's a little bit of a uh, business management strategy too that probably needs to come into play. And I'm I'm not ragging on dairy farmers and I'm not saying that they're not good businessmen, but um, you know, it's easy to forget that you need to save for the the rainy days when there's lots and lots of sunshine going on immediately. So well and I have to, you know, in my my line of work at AgPro, um dealing with dairymen of all sizes and scales too, you know, you see, I've noticed lately that the ones, I mean, I've had projects halted overnight pretty much um, from people that you wouldn't expect to halt. And, and then you have some of the bigger guys buying out the smaller, smaller dairies and not like small, small, but like thousand to 2000 cow dairies. Um, and and they're kind of doing i don't know they're probably financially stressed obviously but it's more of a early retirement too like they're like i don't want to ride this this shitty wave down you know and i don't have kids coming back to to want to fight so let's let's get out while the while i can um and so it seems like we're seeing a little bit of consolidation here but 
One question I have for you is I know your parents are on like on Danone, which is a little different price structure. Are they noticing the same kind of stressors or are they a little more risk protected than, you know, the open commodity market milk, I would say? Yeah, so that's a that's an interesting thing to talk about. Um, so my folks are on that direct contract um, kind of a pricing model. And so they are locked in for the price they receive for their milk every year. Um, you know, every year they, they budget and see where things are going to be. And then they, you know, they figure out their price from there, but, um, they're very much seeing costs of inputs rise. Um, they're especially, you know, especially feed costs. I was talking with my parents just a couple of weeks ago and they're seeing the same feed costs, you know, increases just as everybody else is. And that's, you know, that's starting to eat into their, into their profitability as well. Um, and, you know, um, sometimes it can be difficult with whoever you're shipping to, um, any processor co-op for them to understand from the boots on the ground perspective that, you know, input costs can shift at a moment's notice, um, you know, all kinds of economic and cultural factors going on and, and they can be reluctant to, you know, help shift, um, what, what a milk price should reflect versus, you know, what a rising input might, might uh, impact on that milk price for. So that's definitely something that they're seeing. Um, I know that fertilizer for their farming um, operation and fuel has been a huge, huge um, factor in increasing their cost of production. Um, and so fuel has gone up, I believe my dad said by about 30% versus last year. And then the haul fees to get fuel to your farm have also increased just wildly. And I uh, I know like they do, they do do futures contracts, you know, they try to contract as much feed as they can. Um, and, and um, I know that in the past, my folks have even contracted fuel, but my dad said, I think this is right. Dad, if you're listening, you can correct me and we'll put a correction in the next episode. But I believe that he said that they weren't, they weren't allowing um, contracting for, for fuel purchases anymore either at least they were really scaling back on it so you know you try to do what you can to protect your operation but if the people who have offered services like contracting um you know stop offering them because that cuts into their bottom line it can really you know cause heartache in farm country because you know you try to be as good of actors as you possibly can but when you know when when the vendors don't want to don't want to play that game as well it can certainly be tough Yep, no, most definitely. At Corteva AgriScience, we believe that when we work together, we grow together. We believe innovative agriculture solutions are found in the lab and in the field, applying real insights from farmers with our global R&D knowledge to create a strong suite of innovations across seed and crop protection. We believe in constantly challenging ourselves on how to bring all of our solutions together, giving farmers the tools to address today's needs and tomorrow's challenges. We believe in what we do because we believe in what farmers do, and together we thrive. Corteva AgriScience, keep growing. So that's kind of the view from dairy country. Um, you know, that it impacts my daily work, it impacts my family, friends and neighbors, you know, I've got all kinds of friends in the dairy industry, and it's hard to, you know, hard to watch this and not be able to have a whole lot of control beyond trying to risk manage, um, 
you know, see what's happening out in the industry. But I know, you know, of course, in your work, you work very closely with dairy producers and beef producers. And I would imagine you're probably seeing some pretty interesting um, parallels and paradigms. Is that, you think yeah, that's I the think truth? that was, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think that's a, a great way to put it because we're even seeing, um, so Idaho, so listeners, for those that don't know, I'm I'm in Idaho, um, and I would Idaho is at least in the top five dairy states in the yeah, country. Okay, which I should have known that, but um, we're <laughs> back in two about the two thousands. We had a huge flood of California dairies move in, um, and and flooded the market. To be honest. Um, and that's when regulations started popping up on the county level and so forth. Um, and so the big develop, like you're seeing some consolidation and so forth um, and, and some new ish stuff, but you're also seeing, which is interesting, um, some dairies being bought out by feeders. And I'm not talking like sometimes a dairy will be bought out by another dairy and be turned into like a heifer yard and then they'll move the quota, you know, to the other dairy um, for the milk. But we've noticed a few places where, because we've got three new packers in the state of Idaho um, on varying scales, um, that they're actually converting old dairies to feed lots um, and either renovating and turning like the milk parlor into cattle handling facilities or just decommissioning the parlor altogether and, and putting beefers on on site. So it's it's been an interesting trend that I never thought I'd see in my lifetime, to be honest. And as a beef girl, it kind of makes me happy. But, <laughs> um, but I also want we're also in a state where there's more cows right now than people. And I don't know if that's going to stay that way for much longer with the influx of, um, of people moving to the state and, and trying to enjoy this wonderful place too, that we've, we've all grown to grown to love. So. Um, that's interesting aside. What are you getting a lot of like, where are people coming from? Is it the same as Colorado? It's all the California fruits and nuts or. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're getting a lot of Colorado or California influence just fleeing. Um, and, and everywhere else, you know, we're getting, getting a few Colorado people too. You're getting a few, you know, you're getting a few of, of everything. Um, wanting to move to more rural areas yeah yeah just like Colorado or yep. yeah yeah people seem to be moving more towards the middle of the country um just to be able to have the kind of rural life that we all enjoy yeah anyways back to back to beef prices and markets so it's an interesting concept that dairymen are just buying out dairy facilities and then throwing beef on them and I mean considering the way that beef prices are looking right now and dairy prices aren't, um, you know, that would seem like a good strategic move kind of, kind of, I don't know if it's vertically and probably more like horizontal integration. I don't even know if that's a thing, but diversification, that's what it is. Diversification. Um, and maybe I wonder if it's sort of an extension of the trend of what we call in the industry beef on dairy, which is where dairy producers take you know, bottom third of their herd or whatever. It's even more than that these days. Um, and breeding, you know, breeding 
those lower valued cows to a beef sire um, instead of a dairy a dairy sire and uh you know raising those calves to i don't know three or four weights and then um then selling them off on on auctions and sort of subsidizing the operation that way do you think that that's sort of an extension of the beef on dairy or just another you know just another prong of of diversification so maybe a little bit of both but you know i was when they started doing the beef on dairy crosses, I asked my dad, I said, so is this going to hurt? You know, because we had just finished up talking about the the dairy buyout and how that really affected beef prices back in the day. Um, and I said, so doing adding more value added beef, you know, into our into our system, is that going to affect beef prices? And he actually said, no, it brings up the the overall quality of the beef those cattle those dairy cattle as long as they're still you know they're generally there anyway um we're just bringing up that higher quality we're reducing carcass sizes um we're increasing yields we're we're bettering the whole beef system and so he was actually excited about that um and and so a lot of these guys were seeing by these old dairies are actually they're, they're feeders. And so whether they're partnering with a dairy or um, to take some of those oh. cattle or whatever, but they're actually feeders too. There's a few dairymen that are starting to feed more. Um, okay. okay. They, that. Yeah. So it's, and it, and it's probably a little bit of both, but you see, so the processor, so just maybe I'll, to give an idea of what's happening in Idaho right now. Um, so we have three three processors that have landed here, um, True West, Riverbend, and then I can't, I think it's like Intermountain or something. And they're all three different business models. True West has your agri-beef model. Um, Riverbend is very vertically integrated. They want their own genetics to end up in the plant. Um, it's subscription-based type oh. thing. And then um, the other one is kind of a more of a large-scale custom plant um with specific labeling and so forth um and some more jerky type stuff um and so forth and so there's there's a there's a lot of processing capacity now like they've all hit line um they're not up to full capacity but they're realizing that with the um our beef cow numbers went down four percent last year and with that That's trend, it's not just Idaho, right? Correct. Over the, and I would say Idaho, probably, I don't know the stats for Idaho, but it could have increased because of this processing capacity. Um, and so, and, and the decrease in cow numbers is because of the drought that's happening in the Midwest and down in Texas. Um, I know Colorado, Idaho, California got rain like the whole Western United States is like swimming in water yeah. right now and Which don't know what to do for us. Yeah. Don't know what to do with it. And we've been in drought for the last how many years too. Um, and reservoirs are finally full and so forth. Um, which could be a whole nother conversation in itself. So I'm going to get back to the drought in the Midwest hasn't let up. And usually when Texas has a drought, they can ship those cows to, north whether it's Oklahoma Nebraska Kansas or even up into the Dakotas 
but they can't do that right now because they, they don't have feed either. And so they're just sending them to slaughter and the trend. And that's been happening for the last few years. And that trend, um, we're not seeing a, a hold of replacement heifers to replace those cold cows that have headed out. So typically in a beef system, you, you call out five to 10% or whatever your, your herd management is. And then you bring five to 10% of your replacement heifers in so that you keep cycling young, young stock into your herd to keep a healthy herd, but they're, they're colon heavy and they're not replacing. And so they, they're not seeing beef numbers come up anytime soon. Um, and we've and got, they're not replacing because I mean, they're, why is that it's too expensive? They don't have feed. All they of don't the have stuff. feed. They don't okay. have feed. Yep. They don't have feed and water. And so they're having to, yeah, just get rid of them. Um, and so, which is great opportunity for us here in Idaho, because you got three packers that are begging for cattle. Um, and they don't have, they don't have enough feeding capacity either right here. And so like, I've been doing a lot of feed yard work um, lately, which has been kind of cool to to be involved with. Um, and they're even telling us like when we're, we haven't contracted our calves yet because they're like, hold on to them. And if you can put the first hundred days of feed on them, whether you're, you know, grazing them or putting just a starter ration in a, in a small feed yard, we'll pay you more for them. Um, before we send them to the finishing lot. Um, and so it's it's kind of interesting. And we're looking at like close to $3 a pound for for live animals right now, which is record high. Like we've never seen that. Um, and feed, so it's great to be in the cow-calf world because hay prices are are fairly high still. They've come down a little bit. But if you have, if you have your AUMs um, on the BLM um, and good good pastures to run on, you can keep your input cost relatively in check um, and the, and then get a good price. The feeders are a little pinched right now and not not terribly, um, but they, they're having to buy expensive cattle. Feed's still expensive, like you were talking about. Like their rations are slightly different from the beef world, but it's all similar ingredients. We're talking corn, hay, that sort of thing. Um, and then, then the Packers are, are paying good price for them too, but they're, they're just talking a lot more money, you know, all the way around. Um, and so it's an interesting, it's an interesting concept. And I know talking with, um, one of my family members who lives out in Iowa, um, they're, they're all dry land, I shouldn't say all. Most is dry land, I think, out in Iowa. And I don't know a lot about the farming practices out there. But he says just driving around, it like because they haven't got rain, corn's not where it needs to be. It's drying up and so forth. And they, when they set prices for beef and corn specifically, they always look at the Midwest as a, as a benchmark. And then you change your basis based off where you're at in the U.S., but it's all based off of the, the Corn Belt. And so, you know, tough times there helps us out here, unfortunately. 
if you can, yeah, if you can make it work. Yeah, it is an interesting thing in agriculture, you know, like when livestock's doing well, it seems like crop guys are struggling. You know, the opposite can often be true. Um, you know, when dairy's struggling, beef can be doing really well and and vice versa. And, you know, it's not exactly the topic of this episode, but that can cause some hard feelings within agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's a that's another stressor that can add um, because really, you know, we should all be pulling for the same same the same thing, <laughs> the same thing, um, you know, which is as much success for everybody collectively as there possibly can be. You know, it's not a zero sum game. Um, you know, it's not producer versus producer. You know, the there's the the adage of you know your biggest competition should be yourself. <laughs> yeah, keep your your own lane and and you know do better for yourself every day, but um you know, sort of follow up with that and to return to what your dad was saying, um, you know, you'd think that the higher, higher amounts of, of dairy cow beef, um, coming into the market would, would maybe put some bad feelings out there, but it's, you know, I can see that on the surface and people who maybe don't understand the bigger picture, um, you know, especially the Twitter warriors getting after it and yelling at each other, Um, But I really love your dad's more nuanced perspective of, no, this helps everybody, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats, Um, which that's, that's really encouraging for me to hear like that, you know, just, just to have goodwill between, between industries, I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, and it, I mean, go back to marketing too, you know, when you can get, um, so a black and white animal in the beef world is like, like you don't want one of them in your feed yard, you know, unless that's your, your program. And it's, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of who's feeding those stupid, you know, but when mm-hmm. you can turn their, their hide black first yep. or a solid color, all of mm-hmm. a sudden they've gained value overnight. Like, and it's, it's kind of silly, but it it's the way like the certified Angus beef program works at Hereford, you know, all those those marketing ploys. Um, and so the more cattle, the more quality cattle we can get, they also yield better. Um, mm. But the more high quality cattle you can get in the feed yard, the less big carcasses, you know, more mm. t- time they have to spend there too. Right. Well, and we all know that, you know, it takes seven years to finish off a damn dairy steer. So <laughs> and when, when you take that long to finish them, they actually taste real like it's yeah. the best beef I've had, but it, it, like you said, it takes forever. And then, speed. yeah. And they're huge. And then they don't yeah. yield. So mm-hmm. For those that don't know, yield is um, the difference between the live weight and then the carcass weight. So the actual value that the animal, the the actual meat that you can get out of the animal. So by the time you debone it and bleed it and pull the guts and hide and everything out, what's left over for human consumption is versus what they started at is the yield. So a dairy cow or dairy steer Mm -hmm. tends to have a lot of bone (laughs) 
yeah yeah they're I mean they're just bigger animals um in general that's just the way that it works but yeah it's yeah I totally understand why someone wouldn't want to keep them on feed for I don't know but you know a third as long twice as long I don't I don't know but and then there's also the issue of having those huge carcasses in the pack houses where you know they aren't you know you've got an animal's head dragging along the floor first off that doesn't look good for optics and second off um this is after they're killed by the way not (laughs) (laughs) um but uh you know it just i mean it's it's a um not a logistical headache but you know like a a production kind of a headache because they you know that slows down their their times and all of those sorts of things it just you know it puts a hiccup in the system is my understanding yeah Yep. No, and they've, I think like the newer plants too, because even the beef cattle, I mean, we're finishing it 1500 pounds now where we used to finish it 1300 pounds. And so some of the the frames and stuff are getting bigger. Um, And so they're like the new plants are, are trying to make sure the hooks are higher off the ground and, you know, things like that to deal with the bigger carcass weights. Um, But yeah, those dairy, like, a dairy steer could add another two, 300 pounds easily to, to what yeah. a typical standard beef carcass is. So, yeah, but so, all of those influencing factors too, but let's turn a little bit to the consumer side of this. So you're getting three to you as a, as a feeder, are you guys, no, you're, you're background stalkers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, cow, calf, and then stock. Yeah. Okay. We keep up. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I always get those things mixed up. You guys are so weird in your industry. <laughs> um, yeah. We don't keep them from, from conception to, to kill yeah. like the dairy industry does. Um, you guys are getting near record high prices, which is awesome. That's, that's a totally good thing for you. Um, and there's lots of cooling going on, you know, planes up into the Midwest-ish kind of kind of area, but, um, you know, is there actually, you know, is there a shortage of beef for the consumer or is it just people can sort of see that coming or it's just stressed enough to drive those prices up, um, for producers that, you know, what's, what's sort of that, um, that background? I think there is, and I'm not, when we start getting into the packer and box beef and all that fun stuff, it's kind of a little bit outside of my wheelhouse, but I think it's a, um, a little bit of a, like we're, we've got a little shortage of beef on the market. Um, but we do export a lot of beef and they're still pushing those markets hard. Um, and so I think it's, I think there's just enough stress on the market that you see high prices and it, um, I think I was reading like beef consumption over the fourth was slightly down because mm-hmm. it is so high. And so people are turning to pork and chicken um, for grilling options rather than, than a steak maybe. Um, and, and just being a little more conscientious of, of when they buy beef. Um, I know that demand for high quality beef is stronger than ever. And so when people want beef, they want it to be good. And so um, I don't, I think the, I think the supply is a little stressed, but I don't think it's to a point where we're going to see shortage on the grocery shelf. I think you're just going to see a higher price and it'll balance itself out because people will occasionally pick up a chicken breast, unfortunately. 
um, yeah, right. or, a pork, <laughs> or a pork loin or something that's $2 a pound versus 5 to $10 a pound. Listen, um, lady, I've not seen chicken at $2 a pound for years. <laughs> you can tell how much I buy chicken, I know. <laughs> um, which chicken and pork guys have their own stressors going on too. I think pork, pork prices are fairly cheap, but the chicken industry definitely has their own stressors, which can be a whole nother episode in itself. Um, but they're, yeah, an alternative, an alternative option, I would say, you know, Mm-hmm. Or less, you know, looking at more ground beef options rather than getting a couple steaks to grill or things like that, which, I mean, the dairy industry helps us with our ground beef quite a bit. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think that that's a, a fairly decent overview of what you and I are both seeing in our respective industries and the the crossovers that we're seeing as well. Um, you know, it's it's not typical for me and Valine to talk about stuff like this on the podcast, just the two of us, but um, she and I have been discussing it for the last couple of weeks. And as we talk to our guys out in the field and stuff, you know, it's, it's good to be up to date and, you know, just to, to share our, our understandings with you guys and, and hope that we can provide a little bit of a, an overview as to what might be going on out at the farm gate. Yep. Yeah. And it's, there's definitely experts in this field and I feel like we, we keep our toe dipped in it enough, mm-hmm. but you know, sometimes the, the logistical whys or what's going to happen, um, isn't there, but it's, it's good to, I think our perspective is, is, um, valuable and cool too, because like we work in those industries day in and day out and, you know, you're seeing the general stressors of, of the beef guys and, or of the dairy guys. And then the beef guys are like, how can we feed more cattle this year? Um, yeah. So, you know, those general trends we're seeing on a day-to-day basis, um, hopefully it'll provide listeners with a good perspective of what's what's happening in the countryside and, and in the country of production bovines, I would say. I don't want to say animal ag because there's yeah, a few we're we missed. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, not just ruminants out there for sure, even though they're... <laughs> our favorite yeah yeah well listeners i um we thank you for tuning into this week's episode we'd like to see what you guys are seeing in the countryside where are you at what what are you growing what are you producing um and what stressors are you seeing good and bad um in your industry so you can find us on facebook twitter or instagram or email us at talk to us at millennialag.com till next week we are millennialag At Corteva AgriScience, we believe that when we work together, we grow together. We believe innovative agriculture solutions are found in the lab and in the field, applying real insights from farmers with our global R&D knowledge to create a strong suite of innovations across seed and crop protection. We believe in constantly challenging ourselves on how to bring all of our solutions together, giving farmers the tools to address today's needs and tomorrow's challenges. We believe in what we do because we believe in what farmers do, and together we thrive. Corteva AgriScience. Keep growing.